Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. The loss of the Franklin Expedition is one of the most famous events in Canadian history. For over 150 years, it has captivated Canadians as we strive to learn what happened to the men of the Erebus and the Terror. While we know a great deal about the fate of the crew and the ships, Having not only found the ships, but the graves of many crew, there are many more stories to tell. Last year, I was on This is a Disaster podcast to talk about the Franklin Expedition, but today, on this podcast, I want to talk not about the disaster itself, but the Inuit and their role in the investigation of the disaster. As can be expected, there is a great deal of Inuit names in this episode, and I will do my absolute best to pronounce all of them properly. Not only did the Inuit interact with the doomed sailors and helped other explorers in their search for the crew, but even in the 21st century they would help locate the ships beneath the waves. But first, a bit of a refresher on the Franklin Expedition. Setting sail from Kent, England in the morning of May 19, 1845, the 24 officers and 110 men on the two ships had no idea that none of them would see England again except for five men who were discharged in Greenland after becoming sick. They were the lucky ones. After encountering the Prince of Wales and Enterprise whaling ships in July 1845, the crew of the ships were never heard from again. Spending the 1845-46 winter trapped in the ice off Beachy Island, the ice would thaw in the summer of 1846, but only two months later both ships were trapped in the ice once again off King William Island. Neither ship would ever sail again. The ships would winter the next two years at the island as various members, including Franklin himself, passed away. On April 22, 1848, almost three years after they first set off, the remaining crew abandoned the ships and began walking across the ice towards the Canadian mainland. By this point, nine officers and 15 men had died. Over the next 400-kilometer march across the Arctic, the remaining men would die, never even coming within a few hundred kilometers of the nearest Canadian outpost. Lady Franklin would press the government to launch a search for the expeditions in 1848, and these searches would continue for decades. Through these searches, thousands of kilometers of coastline would be mapped, and the story of what happened would slowly emerge. The Inuit would play a vital role in learning what happened, as they were the last ones to ever interact with the doomed crew members. 
It is not known if the Inuit encountered the doomed crew and ships prior to the abandonment of the ships. The Victory Point record states that the ships were deserted on April 22, 1848, but it doesn't mention any Inuit, nor are there any mentioning of Inuit in the ship logs. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. The encounters could just have been omitted from the records at the time they were recorded. According to the oral histories and information gathered by explorers looking for the Franklin Expedition, several Inuit boarded an abandoned ship in 1850, which had been icebound off King William Island for some time. Prior to this, there are stories of seeing men on the Erebus prior to its sinking. In 1854, John Ray, who was surveying the Boothia Peninsula for the Hudson's Bay Company, would meet with a man on April 21, 1854. The man would tell him about a party of 35 to 40 white men who had died of starvation at the mouth of the Back River. Ray would continue to speak with other Inuit, and they confirmed the story of the starving sailors, and also provided the first evidence of cannibalism among the sailors. They told Ray that they had found bones that were broken apart. In addition, Ray was shown several objects that were identified as belonging to Franklin and his crew. These included several silver spoons and forks that belonged to Franklin and his officers. For Ray, the stories of cannibalism would dog his career for the rest of his life. Lady Franklin would launch a smear campaign against him for suggesting that Englishmen could do something like that and for listening to the Inuit. Charles Dickens would join in the smear campaign, writing on December 2, 1854, quote, Quite apart from the very loose and unreliable nature of the Eskimo representatives on which it would be necessary to receive with great caution, we believe shall show that close analogy and the mass experience are decidedly against the reception of any such statement and that it is the highest improbable that such men as the officers and crew of the two lost ships would or could in any extremity of hunger alleviate the pains of starvation by this horrible means." End quote. Dickens would add his own racist flourishes to the story, stating, quote, Lastly, no man can, with any show of reason, undertake to affirm that this ad remnant of Franklin's gallant band were not set upon and slain by the Eskimo themselves. It is impossible to form an estimate of the character of any races of savages, from their deferential behavior to the white man while he is strong. This mistake has been made again and again, and the moment the white man has appeared in the new aspect of being weaker than the savage, the savage has changed and sprung upon him. End quote. In 2015, a new bone analysis showed that the crew did indeed resort to eating flesh and then bone marrow to survive. One year later, in 1855, a band of Inuit encountered Hudson Bay Company chief factor James Anderson and his employee James Stewart who were traveling to the mouth of the Back River. They stated that they had come across a group of white men who had starved to death on the coast. By the 1860s, some theories began to spread that the survivors of the expedition had chosen to live among the Inuit. Charles Francis Hall would conduct two expeditions in 1860 and 1869 and lived among the Inuit on Baffin Island, and he came to the conclusion that none of the crew lived among the Inuit. During the 1869 expedition, Hall stated the local Inuit took him to a shallow grave on King Edward Island where the skeletal remains of a crew member were found. These remains would be taken back to England. In 2009, the remains were examined and it was determined to be Harry Goodsir, the assistant surgeon on the Erebus. Hall would also learn that four men were seen by Inuit hunters trying to head south in 1851, which is the last verified sighting of the survivors of the expedition. Hall would journey with two Inuit guides, Ipervik and his wife, Takuliktik, 
whom he had hired in 1860. While Ipervik served as his guide and hunter, Takuliktik was his translator. Both were well known among the explorers in the Arctic, especially after they had met with Queen Victoria in 1852. Both Ipervik and Takuliktik would help Hall gather hundreds of pages of Inuit testimony about the fate of the expedition. Hall was told by one Inuit man, Niwikitu, that he and others had visited the ships. He also showed Hall a watch he had recovered. Hall stated, quote, He took the watch off the dead body of a Kublana. This was on a large island not very far from Nichili. The Kublana and the boat came from a ship that was crushed in the ice. Before hard times came upon the Kublanas, the Inuits saw the ships. End quote. Another Inuit man, Nude Lu Ong, showed spoons that had been given to him by Crozier, one that had his initials on them. Hall would find the artifacts had been spread throughout the Inuit communities of the area, and there was also repeated interactions between the Inuit and the men of the ship. One oral history states that there was even a joint caribou hunt, although Hall stated that he had his doubts regarding the story. He would state, quote, I believe they had visited many times Sir Franklin's ship while beset in the ice near King William's Island, and there met him and all their company. He took something like three days while encamped on the ice to find out the fact that all the old man and wife had told them was of Captain and Commander Ross. End quote. There would be further evidence of the Inuit visiting the crew on the ships before they were abandoned. Hall would state about one old woman who, quote, had seen Egluka, who was an Eshimata, one year before on board his ship. His nephew went to the ship on the ice in company of many other Inuits. After this visit to the ship, the Nichili, the Inuits believed that the ship had gone away, gone home to the Kublana country, but the first they heard was that many of the Kublanas had frozen or starved to death. End quote. Hall would add, quote, Had any Eskimos visited the ships near the coast before the retreat to the Great Fish River, they would almost certainly have returned to the northwest coast during the next few years to see whether the white men had left behind anything worth taking away. End quote. Reports from the Inuit would state that at least two men, including Captain Francis Crozier, had survived in the Baker Lake area between 1852 and 1858. Peter Bain, a whaler, related a story he was told by an Inuit that said, quote, During the first summer they caught seals like the natives and shot geese and ducks of which there was a great number. There was one big tent and one small one and many men camped there, end quote. For decades, the Inuit told those who were looking for the ships that they had sunk at Uglijik, in water shallow enough for a time that the mast stuck above the water. Often this was ignored, but by the 21st century, researchers began to listen, and as far back as 1857, the Inuit had told Captain Francis McClintock that one of the ships had been wrecked off the coast of King William Island, and another had been wrecked at the same place they had mentioned before. During the expeditions of Charles Hall, one Inuit elder pointed out the location of the wreck on a map and even drew his own map to the wreck location. Once again, this was ignored. Hall had learned that the Inuit had even found a body on board when they went to salvage what they could from the doomed vessel. McClintock would also state, quote, He made a motion to the northward and spoke the word Umayen, making them to understand there were two ships in that direction, which had, as they supposed, been crushed in the ice. As he pointed to the north, drawing his hand and arm from the direction he slowly moved his body in a falling direction, and all at once dropped his head sideways into his hand, at the same time making a kind of combination whirring, buzzing, and wind-blowing noise. This is the pantomimic representation of ships being crushed in the ice. End quote. 
One Inuit man named Nuk Ki Chuk told Hall that the ship had been stuck in ice in its first year in the area, with four boats hanging alongside and one on the stern. A gangplank led from the deck down to the ice, and the deck was housed over with canvas. The Inuit felt that the men had wintered on the ship, and later tracks were found on shore. When they went aboard, they found the corpse of a large man. After salvaging what they could, they left, and upon their return they found the ship had sunk, but the masts were still above water. In the area, large amounts of wreckage and lumber washed ashore. On September 2, 2014, Ryan Harris with Parks Canada conducted a search, and you would find the shadow of the HMS Erebus. Canadian explorers find one of two lost ships missing since 1845. They release underwater video of the sunken ship. It became stuck in ice during a voyage to discover Canada's fabled Northwest Passage between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. The mystery of the so-called Franklin Expedition has gripped Canadians for generations, in part because of tales handed down through Aboriginal people that the crew of 128 men resorted to cannibalism to survive. All the men died in the ship vanished. Uh, we have found one of the two Franklin ships. Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper made the announcement. This is a great historic event for more than a century. Uh, this has been uh, a great Canadian story and mystery. I say it's been the subject of uh, scientists and historians and writers and singers. And uh, so I think we have a, a really uh, a really important day in uh, mapping together uh, the history of our country. Images of the ship show it's still largely intact, resting upright on the seabed, only 11 meters or 36 feet below the surface. Explorers don't know which of the two ships they've found, but the discovery solves an enduring mystery in Canada. It also bolsters Canada's claim to the key Arctic trade route. Global warming and melting ice sheets mean ships just might one day travel the Northwest Passage as a shortcut between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. Canada says it has sovereignty over over the passage, but the U.S. says, uh-uh, the channel lies in international waters. Of course, some things don't change. While Parks Canada followed the archaeological provisions of the Nunavut Act, the relics recovered from the ships were taken south without appropriate acknowledgement and according to the government and other Inuit organizations without permission. The Premier at the time, Peter Taptuna, would write a letter to Parks Canada demanding the return of the relics. In 2016, acting on information from local residents Sammy Kogvik, the terror was found at Terror Bay. After the discovery of the terror, the Franklin Interim Advisory Committee was created and Inuit guardians were appointed to keep each wreck site secure. Agreements were also reached with Inuit Heritage Trust and other Inuit organizations. Funds were also allocated for the expansion of the Heritage Centre nearby. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at the Inuit and the Franklin Expedition. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, 
Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke Guess, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash Canadian History X. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from Nanatsuk News, Canadian Mystery, Smithsonian Magazine, Wikipedia, History.com, CBC, Parks Canada, and The Conversation. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.